Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. The city of Hamilton, as you know, if you drive out towards the east end into Stony Creek Confederation Park areas, there's wild waterworks. You've, I'm sure, either attended, you've either been all in there and played in the water park, or you've driven by it on the highway, you know of the place. Well, council is now trying to determine, decide what to do with it, because it's starting to get to the point where it needs some repairs. So it can do nothing, let the rides and attractions sort of live their natural life, and then just shut the place down when they break down or are no longer any good. That'll cost about 5 million bucks if we were to do it that way. You could replace the attractions. That'll cost about 25 million. You could do that plus adding a few more things. That'll cost 40 million. Or you could redevelop the entire place at about 61 million. Well, my next guest uh, suggests, well, maybe we should look at the example that First Ontario Centre just had with the city, maybe there's a private-public partnership that could be done here that would presumably save taxpayers some money. His name is Matt Francis. He's the councillor for Ward 5, joins us now. Councillor, thanks for this. Oh, thank you so much, Scott. This um, is the First Ontario Centre. We've seen what's happened with that now. It's taken a while, but we've now seen Oakview Group in there, and they're throwing around a lot of money at this. Is that the thing that spawned the idea for this? Um, definitely not the idea that spawned it, but it certainly doesn't hurt that uh, we have something that we can point to that's a successful model. And uh, if we're able to replicate uh, to any degree of success that they're having uh, with COPS Coliseum, I call it COPS Coliseum. We all so, do but, still. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so if we could replicate that uh, for Wild Waterworks in, in any degree, I'm sure that, uh, and, and trust me, that was not a linear process. I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot of work to get to that point. Uh, but if we could ever get to that point uh, for Wild Waterworks, save taxpayers millions of dollars uh, by doing so, um, why wouldn't we at least explore it? I think it, it makes a ton of sense to explore. Your idea here, was it your motion to come forward with this? It was. Okay. I, it, we had the report that came, and I deferred it because the report was actually to go out and find an alternative use for the site. So uh, that's not something I was willing to entertain. So what would your willingness be? Like, let's say a, a company came forward, a private group came forward. As my understanding is the city, the city council, your colleagues have said, we're willing to listen to this. But one thing that must be is that the city still owns the land. We're not giving away this land. But if a developer or not a developer, if, I, if an owner came along and said, I want to run Wild Waterworks, would you be open to basically them doing anything there to keep it open or is there limits on what they would be able to do? Yeah, there certainly has to be limits on it. Um, at the end of the day, it still is a park and we still have to maintain, uh, we do have the 2010 master plan, which uh, my family, uh, my father actually was involved in that process, um, you know, meeting with uh, Councillor Collins at the time, uh, meeting with the public. And uh, there are actually plans for this park um, that does have some commercial areas. It actually does include a hotel in that 2010 master plan. Um, but certainly at the end of the day, we do want to maintain the integrity of the park. We still want to have access uh, to uh, wild waterworks. And as you know, um, it's a, inner city kids, this is something that uh, in the summertime, you get on a bus and you go on a, a summer trip, and it's something the inner city kids look forward to. I was one of those kids uh, growing up that looked forward to it, and uh, we certainly want to make sure that that's still available to uh uh, to the public. It's still going to be a public asset at the end of the day. 
I mean, I know the suggestion was made by staff that maybe this isn't the best use of the land. It's only a park that's only open for maybe, you know, two or three, well, three months maybe of the year that there could be a better use than Wild Waterworks. You clearly feel that's not the case. Well, I mean, it attracts 100,000 people a year just for that summertime uh, activity. And if there's a way that we could tie in um, to the adjacent land, uh, something that drives even more people, I mean, where else in our city are we driving in 100,000 visitors every year? I mean, forget the fact that it's just the summer. It's, it's That's a lot of people coming and spending money at our businesses um, and giving Hamilton and my community in Ward 5 a much-needed uh, economic uplift. And, and I have to say on that, I received so many calls, not just from Ward 5 residents, from all over Stony Creek, all over Hamilton, um, and even Burlington, Grimsby. People called me from all over the place expressing support uh, to find a way forward for Wild Waterworks to keep it going. And, and also, um, people actually really like this idea of uh, the public-private partnership um, because they know spending $40 million we're in this uh, fiscal crunch right now uh, is, is not uh, it's not feasible today uh, to do that. And uh, it's, this provides a good option for that. Back years ago, during the whole stadium debate, which people have uh, pushed into their subconscious and are just getting over now, but um, during that whole thing, Confederation Park was one of the areas where the stadium was thrown. There was an idea, maybe you could put the stadium there. And at that time, one of the reasons was, you know what, this could be a, 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 a thing to start building up that area. We could have more restaurants or, as you say, a hotel or whatever. Would your idea be that this would be part of a bigger development of that whole area to make that, because I'm not sure that that, I'm not sure there are people, there's a lot of people in the city who I'm not sure ever go down there, ever. Uh, you make a good point. I mean, you go down there, it's a, it's a park that overall, the park itself um, definitely could use a little bit of uplift. And we are, uh, we have earmarked um, a lot of capital dollars uh, that we're going to be spending over the next, uh, I would say, decade or so um, to improve the park down there. It certainly needs it. And I mean, if you compare it to other waterfronts like Burlington, um, there really is no comparison. And I think that we can do better down there. We certainly can. I know we can. And I know it can be a place that uh, Hamiltonians can be proud of. And, and maybe uh, what we're doing today uh, will help lead to that. And I have to say, I, I know last time you had me on the show, we, we talked about uh, a divided council a lot of times, the, the vote being very slim. We had another close one today at the General Issues Committee, but this passed 12 nothing, And I think that speaks volumes in itself that... Um, uh, my colleagues also feel similarly about this, uh, this asset of ours. Uh, before we go, do you have some business in mind? Is there an Oakview group out there that will come and spend a hundred million dollars on a water park? Or is this, for lack of a better term, a fishing expedition just to see what's out there? There's, it is a bit of a fishing expedition, if you want to call it that. I, I certainly think that, uh, um, how could there not be somebody out there? I, there's got to be somebody out there. Now, uh, that being said, I'm going to uh, council and myself, we're going to pick an option. Uh, if there are options to choose from, we're going to pick the option that um, gives the best benefit to Hamiltonians at the end of the day. So uh, let's hope that uh, when this comes back in about a year's time, that uh, uh, staff report back and say, here we go. We've got uh, a number of options you can choose from. 
uh, that that's the hope at the end of the day, and uh, it would be a great way to to go if if that's the case. But th- there would be, and we are late here. But th- you, it only makes sense that if there was a group that wanted to come and spend a lot of money, they would want other things that they could do. Are you open to the idea of? you know, while not giving them the land, allowing some other development around there by them so that they can make their investment pay them as well? Yeah, actually in the motion, um, the potential for, it actually has it in here, the potential for the venue to include a broad range of attractions and uses to make it a viable destination. That's in my motion that passed 12 nothing. So um, certainly that's something we would entertain. Um, at the end of the day, though, we do want to make sure that it, like I said, remains a public asset and um, it upholds the integrity of it being a park at the end of the day. It still is, it still is a park. That is Matt Francis, Councillor for Ward 5. I appreciate you doing this today. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This is the time of year. If you haven't already gone out and got your Christmas decorations, you're probably thinking about, okay, now where am I going to go? Where am I getting a tree? Well, it, you may be honestly too late for a cut your own because it seems as though this has been a tough season. There are cut your own tree places all around the Hamilton area. Many of them saying this has been a different, a difficult season. We don't have a ton of them. We may have some pre-cut for you, but eh, these are tough days, which I don't, I, I, not being someone with a green thumb, my, my thumb is any color but green, is difficult to understand because it seems you drive around and there's tons of trees everywhere. I mean, not just Christmas trees, but trees. So what, what, what is going on? Well, my next guest, uh, you know him as a Ward 10 counselor here in the city, but uh, Jeff Beatty is also, his family since 1953 has owned Winona Gardens, which he and his wife now operate. Uh, Jeff, how are you today? Good. How are you, Scott? I am excellent. Thank you. So what is this about this being a tough year for Christmas trees? Why is it a tough year for Christmas trees? Well, Scott, it's been a, a tough couple of years, actually, and, and it stems back, there was a series of unfortunate events, and, and if you can believe it or not, it started back in about 2008 during the, uh, the economic downturn that was experienced there, and we started to feel the repercussions of it um, about 10 years later, because it's about a 10-year growth cycle on a tree, and then that cascaded forward into 2020 during the pandemic. Everybody stayed at home. Everybody wanted a tree. We put a lot of more pressure on uh, local stocks. And then we've had a series of really dry summers here in Ontario, uh, notwithstanding this past summer. And it's all kind of compounded and focused into um, what we're experiencing right, right now. What happened in 2008? So the, the, the fact about COVID, I get that everybody all of a sudden wants a tree, so some of them get cleared out. But what was 2008's issue? So in 2008, when we had the economic downturn, primarily in the United States, a lot of the uh, tree growing operations experienced some turmoil. Uh, and a lot of trees that were supposed to have been planted never did. And a lot of the farms that uh, should have expanded or grown never did. And in fact, some of them went out of business. And we didn't notice the effects right away because there's a growth cycle in about, you know, the eight to 10 year range for a tree. And what happened was all of a sudden around 2017, 2018, uh, the trees that were supposed to come to market in the United States didn't. They started to look elsewhere. They started to look to Canada to fill the void of the missing trees, which then put pressure on our our local supply. And then before you knew it, we had this uh, 
this uh, shortage that was rolling forward. And uh, as I said, 2020 started to just exacerbate an existing problem. I, I don't, um, uh, as I said off the top, I, I don't grow things very well. I uh, I tend to <laughs> kill things more than grow them. But Well, you're the best kind of customer. Uh, well, I absolutely would be, yeah, except I would probably <laughs> knock over the things in the store too. Um, but <laughs> is it difficult, or, or is growing Christmas tree, is a Christmas tree a difficult kind of plant to grow? In some parts of uh, the country, yes. Southern Ontario is actually one of the most challenging areas to uh, to grow, we've got a lot of hard-packed clay soil, depending on the region. And we have really hot, dry summers, which are not great for growing the types of trees that are most desirable. In fact, there are a lot of trees that just don't do well in southern Ontario. Uh, so in some cases, yes, if you're out east, where we source our trees from in the Nova Scotia area, uh, they have a temperate uh, climate, a little more moist, don't have the highs and lows that we get here in Ontario and a little easier to grow a lot of the varieties out there. But um, as I said, particularly for our local Hamilton area growers, uh, it can be quite a challenge. Absolutely. I know, and I've read this before that there were, and you've mentioned it, that a number of farmers, especially as they've gotten older, have just said, ah, forget it. And they don't necessarily have a family member or someone coming up behind who wants to take over the business. But there are farmers or there are property owners who they may not be using the land, but they will lease out the land to someone to grow soybeans or whatever else. Do the people who were the farmers who retired, are they not leasing out the land? Is there not someone coming up to use that or is that land just in a lot of cases being shut down? Um, I I would say, Scott, that uh, Christmas tree farming is no different than a lot of the other types of agriculture uh, in Ontario across the country. And in general, we we have an aging farm population. So farmers in general are, are aging, uh, aging out, if you will. Uh, there's not a lot of young people coming into the industry as a whole. So definitely you can see that. And, and then we've seen uh, pressures on uh, land prices, and particularly here in Ontario. So you want to go with a crop that has the highest yield, has the highest return. You don't want to spend a lot of time growing something that isn't going to give you that return. So if it starts to become risky, which, you know, uh, I think our, our hot summers have put some risk involved in, in growing trees in Ontario, um, you could see more and more people choosing to get out of the uh, out of the industry and fewer young people getting involved. And why is that? I mean, uh, you know, we had for a long time, we had people not getting into the trades because, hey, you got to go to university. And then all of a sudden everyone realized, wait, you can make a good living in a trade. Surely you can still make a decent living as a farmer. Uh, You can, but you you need a big acreage. Uh, The days of having, uh, you know, 50 acres and being able to sustain yourself are, are basically long gone for most crops. There's not a lot you can do on 50 acres of land. You're into growing uh, thousands of acres in order to be productive and Christmas trees have fallen into that category too. I'm sure a lot of the local growers would tell you that, um, you know, you, you need a big area of land uh, and you need a lot of labor too. It's it's a labor intensive uh, com- commodity. Uh, you have to get out there, you have to trim them, you have to prune them, you have to upkeep all of the uh, the space between them, cut the, cut the grass and, and look after the place. Uh, so if you don't have people that are interested in getting out and, and doing that, uh, it could be a real problem. Yeah, it, it's interesting because it seems if you drive down Niagara Way, it seems like there are now 15 times more vineyards than there ever were before. People <laughs> want to get into the wine business and there's no shortage yeah. of people there. 
Um, different thing here. You know, I should have asked you right off the top. Um, do people want real trees now? Are, are real trees still the thing or are people moving towards the plastic or whatever ones? Uh, I'll tell you, um, we, we've been in business, as you said in your intro, since 1953. My grandfather sold trees in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. He started to see a trend in the 70s away from real trees. We got out of the business for about 20 years. We came back into it in uh, 96. And the first year that we went back into the business, we sold 100 trees. Um, we're up in the 700 range now, 25, 27 years later. Uh, so we've seen steady increases every year in, in demand. Um, and I think that um, uh, there's still a, a big demand for trees out there. Um, and, and not everybody uh, is suited for a real tree. We get that. Some people have their own reasons for, for wanting to go the artificial route. But I think in, in general, Scott, there's still big, big demand for it, and, and we're happy to fill that. That is uh, Jeff Beatty. I would say Ward 10 Councillor Jeff Beatty, but this really has nothing to do with that. This is uh, Winona <laughs> Gardens owner Jeff Beatty. Uh, hey, listen, appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this today. Not a problem, Scott. Great talking with you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We have been living for a long time now in this area in one of the most ludicrous real estate markets on planet Earth. And that's not hyperbole. It is, this area has been goofy. I mean, there are some other places that, you know, Vancouver, for example, where the numbers are, I don't even, I don't even have a proper word. When a standard little unassuming house can be $2 million. But Vancouver started as a really expensive place to begin with. Hamilton for the longest time was a very reasonably priced market that all of a sudden went cuckoo because everybody couldn't afford Toronto anymore and started moving here. And we had a lot of people moving into the area from all over the place and investors and developer and whatever. Our market went berserk and none of what I've just told you is news to any of you. However, the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington has reported declines in November sales. So we don't have no December's numbers yet, but declines in November sales uh, made it one of the weakest Novembers since 2010. Year to date sales down 11% over last year. It is, uh, it is a weird thing that's happening in our market that we have not seen for a long, long time. Nicholas Von Bredo is the president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington. He joins us now. Nicholas, how are you tonight? Good evening. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you for doing this. I, uh, we haven't had a discussion, you or I or any of your predecessors, we have not had a discussion like this in a long, long time where we're talking about a market that is not flaming hot. Exactly. I mean, it's a little bit of a shock, but at the same time, doing with the interest rate increases that the Bank of Canada has done over the past year, I mean, it's taken a lot of buyers out of the market. So there's a lot of inventory that's um, building up. I assume that is entirely what this is all about, right? There's nothing else that's going on besides the interest rates that would speak to this? No, not really. I mean, we have high immigration still. Our, our growth is going. Jobs are good. I mean, um, some of the developers have held off launching projects, so that's holding a little bit of supply back, but they're also being affected by the interest rates. And um, so a lot of buyers, yeah, exactly. Their interest, the interest rates have just um, killed them. So they've stayed out of the market or they can't afford to move out of where they are to I mean, upsize if they have a new family member on the way or anything like that. So that is, yeah, the driving force is the interest rates. 
And it seems to me, and you would know this way better than me, I'm talking anecdotally only here, but it seems that people who are putting their houses up for sale these days, most anyway, it seems, aren't dropping the price. Like they, they remember what their neighbors were getting six months or a year ago. And it seems as though there's a real reluctance to come with some sort of bargain onto the market, recognizing those interest rates are there. It's still expensive. And now you've got the interest rates. Exactly. It's a bit of a standoff between the buyers and sellers, right? The sellers don't want to come down in their price because they just remember their neighbors selling a number of months or a year and a half ago at a lot higher of a price. So they don't want to come down. And the buyers are sitting there saying, we don't know when the interest rate increases are going to stop. So we don't want to commit to a, a large investment right now until we have a better understanding of what's happening in the marketplace with the interest rates. But is, I mean, overall, our benchmark price in the Hamilton area is slightly down, but we're at just over $805,000 for a home. Um, and that's still drastically higher than it was prior to the pandemic, because pre-pandemic, we were at around $581,000 as a benchmark price in our marketplace. Yeah, we kind of forget that, don't we? we, we I mean, yeah. even though it's cooling off, it's still way ahead of where we were just even three or four years ago. Way ahead. Exactly. I mean, I mean, we do have, we do expect to see the, um, the, uh, sorry, we do expect to see the listings versus sales to start resembling more of a balanced market coming up. And I mean, if I had a crystal ball, I mean, I'd, I'd be able to maybe predict what's happening next year. But I mean, I, we'll probably start out with a bit of a slower year next year too. And then the hope is, I think, from everyone across the country, that I mean, the bank is is stopping to increase their interest rates. And then maybe towards the end of next year or halfway through next year, we'll start seeing a bit of a decline and a little bit more of a balanced market. But I believe the moment that there is a bit of a decrease in interest rate, there is going to be a flurry of activity again because there are a lot of people sitting on the sidelines. I mean, we do have a, a huge generation of um, people that are looking to buy homes right now because they're younger starting families and they want to move on and they've had a couple of years in their careers for their business, for whatever business or industry that they're in so they can afford something, but they're just sitting on the sidelines right now. So you, I think the, the moment there's an, a decrease, there will be a, a flurry of activity again. You mentioned your crystal ball and for next year, let me, I, I mean, I know that none of us have that, including you, even though you, you know, you have the big title of the president of the Realtors Association, even you don't have a perfect crystal ball but there there is there for a long time now has been a a belief that because of these interest rates it's next year that people really that huge swaths of homeowners have to renegotiate their mortgages and there's been a lot of suggestion that an awful lot of people are not going to be able to afford what they've purchased there may be a flood of homes being moved onto the market because they just can't afford the mortgages they took out Do you, is that what you think is going to happen I don't think it's going to be as bad as most people think. I think the banks, I mean, the banks will work with people. And at the same time, I think the Bank of Canada also recognizes that that possibility is there. So they're going to sort of try to try to strike that balance between the affordability and the inflation numbers to be able to make sure that they're able to have those interest rates in a position that might help out some of those people. So really the hope is, is that, I mean, some interest rates might start to come down a little bit um, halfway through next year. And we'll be able to sort of um, help some people out there in those situations of renewing at much higher rates than they had originally but in general here in canada we over the past um decades when we've also had other times when we've had interest rate increases there hasn't been a drastic amount of foreclosures or anything like that but i mean at the same time two people also have to recognize that they have to be able to afford the home they're living in and and hopefully i mean the bank of canada 
in the marketplace will not be as drastic as some of the um, economists are predicting. Well, and I was going to say about that because, you know, we don't see, we haven't seen, you know, some of the, some of the images and things we see of like Detroit, for example, with foreclosures, where there's just these houses that are just left and Detroit's just one example. But we, I'm just wondering, even with all the, the homelessness or people who can't find a place to buy, even if we had a whole bunch of people who did have to sell their homes, I don't see that there's a shortage in the line behind there to try and get in as long as they are somewhat reasonably priced. You will have buyers. Exactly. Exactly. As I mentioned earlier, I think there's a lot of buyers sitting in the wings, a lot of first-time home buyers, a lot of people that maybe you're in a condo and want to move up into a townhouse because they have their first child on the way and they need that second or third bedroom and things like that. A lot of those people are in the wings right now waiting to have a better understanding of the marketplace. And so I think it's going to be a case of if some of these people or some of the consumers out there have to um, sell properties because they aren't qualifying for the, the new interest rates on the requalification of their new mortgages, well, there will be buyers waiting for them. So I think it will I mean all balance out. But unfortunately, yes, we will have some people in um, in our community that will we have some tough times. We'll have to sort out some sort some of their housing needs out. Where, uh, if there's anything that's selling right now, because it's all down a bit, what are the kinds of homes that are still moving reasonably well, or are there any kinds? Yeah, it's the lower priced homes. I mean, the townhouses, the condos, they're the ones that are, um, there's a little bit more movement on them right now. The higher priced homes, we're seeing more listings coming onto the market from the higher priced homes, but it's more, the more affordable ones are the ones that are still moving. Do you, as a, I mean, do your agents, is this a time then that uh, there are times when I will have on our house, we'll come home and there will be something on our door handle saying, Hey, if you're looking to sell, give me a call. And it's from an agent. And I always assume that that means that there is someone looking in the neighborhood and that agent is trying to find some place. And it's not just our house. I'm sure it's going to every house in the neighborhood, but is this with everything that's going on? Is this a time when agents are aggressively trying to get people onto the market or are agents sitting back now because they don't want to get someone to put their house up for sale? Then they have to keep moving it and, and working on it for months and months. Well, I think, I mean, any realtor, um, I mean, they're running a business and they like, they like to have product to be able to sell and market for their, for their clients. Um, so I don't think there's any um, specific reason why there's more marketing like that happening. I think some agents maybe are not doing as much business as they have because just the overall sales volumes are down. So they themselves are doing some marketing to try to sort of fill their pipeline so that there's some business in the future for them. Let me ask you one other thing on this one. Um, there was a time and not very long ago, I mean, very recently when it, maybe this is an overstatement, but it almost didn't matter what shape your house was in, it would sell. If it went up for sale and it was priced even remotely reasonably, and sometimes not even that, it would sell. Your house could have been untouched and not updated since 1950 and it would sell. People just wanted to buy the house and they would do it. Is that same thing still in place or are people now with the way the market is, are they being a little more selective? Absolutely, they're being more selective, right? There's a lot more inventory in the market, so you have a lot more choice as a buyer, and there are also less buyers because a lot of buyers are sitting in the wings. So, I mean, I always tell my clients, I mean, first impressions are lasting impressions. Make sure your home is is as uh, is as ready as possible to show its best qualities when you put it onto the market. Because the first time someone walks into the home, that first impression, that first feeling they have when they see the home, that's the lasting impression that's stuck in their mind quite often. Does this also mean bidding wars are not as often now? 
Yes, not at all, not often at all. I mean, there are still some neighborhoods and certain product types where I mean, maybe it's the best school district in the city or something like that, where there's still demand for certain items. Like I did hear last week that there was a house that sold with 14 offers on it. Wow! But it's very, it's very rare at the moment compared to what it was a few years ago. And you know that that house, every agent is looking at that, trying to convince everyone else that oh, that'll happen to you too. Um, <laughs> not so much. Uh, Nicholas von Bredo, uh, president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington, really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. If anyone's, I mean, really the best advice I can give to anyone is, I mean, reach out to your local realtor because they'll be able to help you with your exact needs and within the marketplace and within the neighborhood you're looking for. So reach out to a local realtor, they'll be able to help you out and guide you through this process. Nicholas, thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.